0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Politics Jam, where we take an in-depth look at the week's news and hot topics through a political science lens.
1: Back again, Michael, buddy, how you doing? The boys are back in town. Uh... <laughs> 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 no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm actually glad to be recording a podcast. It's been so so long. I think the last time I recorded was was early October, wasn't it? It's been a while. So uh, good, glad to be back. And also, are you okay? Is is my kind of important question because it's been a while since you know Liverpool beat Manchester United 5-0 at Old Trafford I've I haven't actually checked on you properly since since today but I hope you're okay no you haven't
0: quite a bad friend in some (laughs) respect it has been it's been a difficult time there have been been good days and bad days as you'd expect you know it's it's not something you get over it's something you get through Uh, but it's definitely a part of me and And I am a strong, independent woman. And I think it's to be stronger. Look, I've listened to a lot of Adele. I'm not gonna pretend. I was, you know what, to be fair, I was gonna mention it. I was gonna say, uh, you you should, you know, gloat about it in the way that I definitely would. Uh, Were you happy to watch you absolutely destroy Man United, did that bring you joy?
1: It brought me so much joy. Like it was just absolutely the peak of football for me. (laughs) It might just be the peak of football. It's not going to get better than that, honestly, G. Five-0 at Old Trafford. It was just fantastic. And, like, for me, the best thing about Manchester United right now is you exist in this this kind of territory I call Ole Solskjaer purgatory, right? So you're never going to be bad enough to sack him, at least in the immediate future, but you're never going to be good enough to ever win any major trophies. So it's like, this is perfect for me as a Liverpool fan. (laughs)
0: I mean, you're right, is the answer. We're stuck in purgatory. Like, that's all it is. It's just awful. It's been like this for, like, years. I'm just watching the same thing over and over again. He's never he's never quite bad enough to get sat. He's never good enough uh, to win us anything. So we're just in this awful middle ground. Um, but it's fine. It's just... It's fine. I'll get over it. I'm here for you, Jesus. It's fine. Adele's new album is coming out soon, so... <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I am going to listen to Adele's new album. I am going to have a difficult Christmas. I'm just going to sit there and, you know, maybe put on Mar- No, that's not put on Mariah Carey. Um, <laughs> just one short thing before we start today. Um, look, as you can tell, we're back today, which is great. Uh, but our like recording is going to be a little bit more sporadic, I think, until the early new year. We've both got really uh, busy times ahead. I know I'm submitting my PhD in the next few weeks. Um, and i know michael's right at the end and under the cosh of it as well so early next year we should be back to more regular programming and then yeah we'll see where we go from here but we'll come back and forth like as and when we can uh, as and when we can today and on today we're gonna talk about second jobs and particularly kind of the corruption scandal golfing westminster what happened with owen patterson should MPs have second jobs at all um what is it about the rules of British politics that do and don't make corruption easier? And finally, how does it damage democracy? Uh, Mike, do you want to kick us off? Like, what happened with Owen Patterson? What did he do? How's he do?
1: Yeah, sure. So in October 2019, it emerged that Owen Patterson had lobbied for two companies as a paid consultant. So the companies in question are Randox, a clinical diagnostics company, and Lynn's Country Food, a processor and distributor of meat products. Now, in light of these reports, the Parliamentary Commissioner for Standards, Catherine Stone, opened up an investigation because under the Parliamentary Code of Conduct, MPs are banned from acting as paid advocates, which is exactly what Owen Patterson was accused of doing. Now, Stone's investigation found that Patterson had violated the Code of Conduct on paid advocacy and he kind of failed to declare financial interest. And also, he used his office to hold some business meetings. So he was found kind of using the improper use of, of parliamentary property. Now, the findings of this report were approved by the Standards Committee of Cross Party MPs, which suggested that Patterson should be suspended for 30 days. Now, this suspension and the length of the suspension proposed was quite significant because it meant that Patterson would be subject to recall petition by his constituents. And if 10% of his constituents signed this petition, there would be a by election. So, that's quite a kind of substantial and really important kind of thing to note there. So, Patterson's suspension was put to a vote. but 248 Conservative MPs backed an amendment which blocked the 30-day suspension for Paterson from the House of Commons and also committed to set up a, a new body to look at reform to, and to kind of reform the standards process. So the Conservatives essentially, tr- instead of, you know, being quite st- serious about this issue here, you know, the Conservatives actually backed Patterson, tried to overturn his 30-day suspension and completely review standards process. So this was a really kind of egregious form. And it, it really, the, the Conservatives, what they did here was, was weaponize the majority. There has since been a U-turn because of the pressure put on the Conservatives, and Patterson has resigned, and there will be a vote on his kind of lobbying behaviour uh, at a future date. But yeah, I guess the, the kind of big story here is this has led to conversations about MPs and second jobs, because you know patterson was 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 doing paid advocacy work for these two two companies he was setting up meetings with government ministers for these companies um so this has raised really quite serious questions about what mp's do in their in their spare time when it comes to second jobs and it comes to particularly consultancy work and lobbying. These are the kind of two things under under real scrutiny at the moment. And I guess yeah the question I have for you G what are your thoughts on, on 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 second jobs and members of parliament because I, I'm kind of split and I do think there are kind of two schools of thought which I'll go into a bit later on second jobs. But I am I am a bit split when it comes to MPs and second jobs. But I'd love to love to know your thoughts. I think
0: okay my thoughts are the first thing is You you said the word egregious, and egregious is the point, like Owen Patterson was paid half a million pounds uh, by these companies. I think Randox has received half a million, sorry, half a billion pounds in COVID contracts from this government. He was entirely unapologetic. So a company paid him money. He then went to try and help that company out specifically. And then a cross-party group of MPs find it to be wrong. And then Boris Johnson basically goes, actually, let's try and get him off the hook. Let's change all the rules and retrospectively change a judgment. Like, you know, the the kind of corollary in, in normal life would be if I was sentenced, found guilty for fraud, and then they were to try and rewrite the law so they get me off. I mean, it's just it's just absolutely um an absurdity for them to do that or to try and do that. that's why the why the response has been so strong um i mean it's of second jobs at the moment like a quarter of conservative mps have second jobs for like four million pounds uh including gambling and the energy sector we've seen stories on you know they get paid by a gambling company they then ask questions about like shouldn't we have like less severe regulation around gambling and the answer is definitely not like gambling causes huge problems like one person to die one person a day commits suicide from gambling every single year. Most of the profits from gambling companies come from problem gamblers. Like all of these things, we have more regulation. If you're paying an MP, then actually MP is probably going to fight your corner pretty hard. Um, and there are other cost questions as well around other conservative members. Who the hell paid for Boris Johnson's two million pound? So I said £2 million, but it's not that much. One thousand pounds refurbishment of Downing <laughs> Street. And what do they get in return? Peerages for £3 million. I mean, the whole thing is, is all from top to bottom. In terms of should they have second jobs, I'm more and more of the view that you can have a second job, but you can't be paid for it unless it's like something called you. So unless you're like lecturing or speaking, I think... I think otherwise just like so if you're like razina ali khan for example who's a doctor and decides to you know go help the nhs out during the pandemic or nadia Whitam, i know who was a care worker fine i feel like do it but then also do it for free because in one sense you're already getting paid for your time as an mp um, it's not clear to me why you would do why you would need more cash on the side to do something else and then the consulting side if you're if you're getting paid by a particular company like you know no one's paying owen patterson for his expertise right green still weren't paying david cameron because david cameron knew loads about finance they were paying him because he had the right kind of access and clearly tried to use that so that's kind of where i sit on second jobs i will say though it's not a completely like well thought out robust kind of system that i've just come up with but it's kind of where my viewpoint's originally what about you what do you reckon
1: Yeah, so I think there are two schools of thought on on second jobs, right? So there's a school of thought that suggests, well, actually, MPs having second jobs provides connections to the the real world and prevents politicians from becoming like or politicians of just being this isolated political class, right? So people believe that MPs can combine their political careers with their kind of outside jobs. There's another school of thought that suggests, well, actually MPs having second jobs mean it cannot exclusively focus on a parliamentary activity and it could also lead to a conflict of interest now I sort of buy more into the second school of thought there I believe that MPs having second jobs can you know lead to a conflict of interest I'm not entirely sure how MPs acting as consultants and representatives of big business improves the link between politicians and the real world and I think the truth is that Second jobs are just, you know, one way that businesses and the elite attempt to influence MPs and and government policy. You know, earlier this year, research by Open Democracy found that MPs earned almost five million from second jobs during the first year of the pandemic. And I think we're using the the term jobs here fairly loosely because MPs aren't being paid, as you you said, G, because they're doing this kind of onerous work. In a lot of cases, they're being paid because they provide access for particular companies. Um, into into politics, right? So MPs are essentially abusing their public position for private gain. And to do this during a pandemic while millions across the country struggled, in part because of inadequate support from the government, is wrong on so many levels. As Geoffrey Cox kind of ironically said earlier this week, I think, the purpose of elected office is to serve the public, not to enhance and to kind of accrue private wealth and private gain. It's not It's not for that. It's for, you know, it's a public position. And MP salaries already put them in the top five percent of earners in the country. So I'm it's not entirely sure why they would need more money. There was a report, I think, in the Financial Times, an MP, he wasn't he wasn't named an MP, or he or she wasn't named, suggesting that 82000 pounds a year wasn't enough to live on, which is just absolutely laughable when you consider the kind of cuts to, to welfare that we've we've seen over, over, over the last few years and, and the lack of support that was provided to some families during this pandemic. I just think that second jobs ultimately mean that the interests of MPs become kind of really heavily linked to kind of corporations and the elite in many cases. So, for example, Shadi Javid's consultancy role with JP Morgan means that he has kind of a personal investment, maybe, in their success. And this will no doubt shape his politics. I kind of think a lot about Tony Wright's point here, though, because a lot, so we focus on second jobs here, but also what we want from our MPs is something I've been thinking about a lot. Tony Wright, who he, he used to be, he used to be an MP, he was an MP for, for a number of years. And he spoke about how it was a job that was, you know, it's a job without description. So what this means is that MPs are able to interpret their roles differently depending on maybe their ideological leaning, their background, you know, their personality, all of these things weigh into how MPs perceive their role. So some MPs, you know, might see it's absolutely fine that they they're able to kind of use their, their position as MPs. to gain gain personally and to kind of, you know, line their pockets a bit. And, you know, ultimately the rules in place mean that MPs are uh, allowed to have second jobs and they've abused this. So I do think maybe we need to have a conversation about what we want from our MPs and also more robust rules to kind of constrain their behaviour so corruption isn't likely like it was in the case of of Owen Paterson because I do think the rules in place now create what I call a kind of corruption-friendly system where MPs are allowed to have second jobs which is okay up for debate i'm of the kind of mindset that second jobs shouldn't be completely banned i think there are some cases where second jobs are useful like like you mentioned the case of Nadia was home who took up care went back to to, to do some work in, in a care home um during a pandemic to kind of help with things i think those jobs shouldn't be banned but when mps have been paid for consultancy work for firms absolutely that should not be acceptable um so so yeah I think there is a world in which MPs can have second jobs, but there do need to be rules in place that constrain the kind of jobs MPs can do.
0: Yeah, I think conflict of interest is not a great... I Like, um, it's, this is a this is more about, like, what I see reported as being a conflict of interest. I'm like, actually, what it means is that, like, a very big company can pay for a better treatment of the rules than a very small one, and it undermines democracy. Like, it's not really about the fact... From the Democrat perspective, it's to, it's less about the fact the MP is is has this conflict of interest. It's more about the fact that actually you don't have those same rights and you don't have that same access. And so you as a voter, you know, there are some people whose votes count for more effectively and that vote is linked to the amount of money that they have. And that to me is the the kind of there's like a there's a problem of language basically around it. And I think it always sounds a little bit a little bit sanitized um, and it's not so great it's also supposed to be public service. Like it's supposed to be a full-time job. It's supposed to be, your job is to, you know, represent your constituents. And that is your first port of call. You are there to represent their interests in parliament. First and foremost, they're the people that elect you. If they've got a problem, they should be coming to you. You should be sat there and ensuring that their voices are heard in parliament, you know, in what is is the most powerful decision-making body, In the land everyone has personal access to their member of parliament or should do to some like degree um you shouldn't be like moonlighting on the side spending so many hours in jp morgan's board like that's not your job if you want to go work for jp morgan go work for jp morgan um anyway mini mini run over um on to the second bit about the constitutional features of british corruption what do you think mike about the the british constitution does it make corruption easier in this country
1: so i do think that also the fact that britain hasn't got a written constitution which means that we are leaving a lot of it to kind of the interpretation of particular members of governments and um, we're relying on, on them to, to kind of respect for kind of conventions that we have in this country i do think a lot of that also means that we do have this kind of corruption friendly environment um, at times in terms of rule changes though so second jobs haven't always been viewed as detrimental to our politics which is also why the rules are not that robust. So I think in 1995, the Standards Committee said that second jobs will actually serve in the best interest of our democracy, and it means that MPs have a wide range of experiences to contribute to our politics. I think the conversation has moved on slightly since 1995, and you know, when he was the leader of the Labour Party, Ed Miliband pledged that the party would impose a cap on MPs' earnings. So I think, yeah, I think there's a couple of
0: things here, like thinking a bit more, if I was to take my kind of uh, bird's eye view and a bit more broadly the first of which is we do have a constitution that means that you know as they describe the commons as an elected dictatorship like the commons can do whatever it likes the commons gets to decide what its own standing orders are it can pass any legislation it likes you know it can override the Lords. whatever the commons wants to do it can get it done there is no constraint upon its power right and that's what you saw with the urn patterson case you know Boris Johnson, being the Prime Minister of the body of the land that can do what it's like, was able to try, well, actually was able to overrule um, kind of the ruling of like a what you would think of as being almost like a court of law, because that's what the Commons could do, if that's what the Commons chooses to do. In effect, the British Constitution allows that to happen, okay? And we've seen with the Johnson government, like him being willing to kind of use that power in a way that other previous governments haven't been. And that's not just like That sort of colored thing, that's like, um, you know, the Theresa May government wouldn't do the things that Boris Johnson does. Same thing is true of David Cameron, definitely was true of Major and of Thatcher. You know, we had the PM's own ethics advisor have to resign because he said that actually Priti Patel had broken the rules and therefore needed to go as a minister and Boris Johnson overruled her. He didn't start an investigation to Robert Jenrick, despite the fact that he gave a Tory donor, a nice kind of helping with a £1 billion property deal, saving him, I think, £45 million in taxation. He tried to do it. They're trying to appoint the former editor, Paul Dacre of the Daily Mail, because, again, you are there and you have a majority in the Commons. And as long as your political party isn't stopping you, you are able to do what you like. That's true from the constitutional side of thing, but that also isn't necessarily what is the most important thing? Like it helps, but it's not the most important thing. The question is, why is it that the people inside the system are allowing this to happen? Because you think about some of the United States, for example, the United States formally has a much stronger system of a constitution that should stop this kind of stuff from happening, right? You have a Supreme Court, you have the three branches of government, all that should keep each other in check. And yet what you see is, of course, like brazen forms of of corruption there. I'm thinking particularly underneath... Donald Trump. You've also got a system where, you know, a Supreme Court has been captured by one political party and is willing to do so and act in that particular way. And so, actually, there's something a more broader question, which is why these leaders being elected were able to change those rules. And that's not just like Johnson here, Trump of the United States, I don't think of being like Netanyahu in Israel. And really, to some extent, I think it's because they raise the level of politics as existential questions. And so, when it all becomes about what kind of a country do you want it to be in that sense things like corruption become a lot less important and they're able to get away with a lot of stuff we also boris johnson pro parliament famously in his first year in office ironically now that brexit has got done it also means that actually people now pay more attention to these kind of things people are more angry about these kind of things to put it slightly differently I think had the Owen Paterson case happened during like the dark days of of Brexit or just after Boris Johnson got elected and Brexit still wasn't done, a lot fewer voters would have cared about it and there would have been a lot less of a bigger public backlash.
1: Yeah, I think that's all That's all really interesting and all, all quite true actually. I think also looking at the constitutional environments in the UK and the fact that a lot of powers you've said is vested in in Parliament, right? I do think Johnson's response to the Patterson scandal shouldn't be viewed as a nice incident. I do think Johnson's government have consistently ignored independent checks and balances on their power. So, for example, when the government's ethics, ethics advisor, Alex Allen, well, he's not a former government's ethics advisor, when he advised that Home Secretary Prince Patel breached the ministerial code by bullying civil servants, Johnson concluded that Patel hadn't breached the ministerial code and should therefore not resign. And he also questioned whether ministerial code is fit for purpose. Yeah, the Electoral Commission, which monitors political parties' finances and donations, is investigating Boris Johnson over, as you mentioned, Jeeves, the financing of his, of his flat. And also, they investigated the Vote Leave campaign. Now, it kind of in response to this, the election bill, which is kind of currently being pushed through, pushed through by the government, would increase the government's control of the Independent Electoral Commission and also strip the commission its ability to bring forward prosecutions. So not only are we seeing the government ignore recommendations from independent bodies, and again, the government doesn't have to take on board every single recommendation by an independent body, but these are particularly important uh, piece of advice by independent bodies. The fact that we, we're now seeing a kind of a crackdown and, and, and an attack on these independent bodies is something that should alarm us all. I do think the Johnson government. Have shown a complete disregard for checks and balances on their power and have actually tried to override them and have tried to reduce the checks and balances on their power. We can also look at the kind of elections bill and voter ID, which would make it harder for particular voters to hold into account at the ballot box. So Johnson is trying to expand his power. He's trying to weaponize his majority in the Commons while removing checks and balances on his power. And this is probably not what we want to see, obviously. And And, and for me, it's a sign of democratic backsliding, right? So, the sign that so when when we talk about democratic black side and we often talk about it in places like hungary and and poland and, and brazil and, and and the us under trump right but actually we are seeing similar trends that we saw in those in those countries in the uk you know authoritarian leaders they rigged the system they criminalized this dissent they tried to limit checks and balances on their power we have seen all of these things under the boris johnson premiership we have seen the contempt for democratic institutions. We've seen Boris Johnson in his first year in office, as Jeevan mentioned, tr- he prorogued parliament or tried to prorogue parliament. So we've seen several examples of Boris Johnson's contempt for institutions, his contempt for ind- independent kind of um, advice and actually trying to take control of independent commissions. You know, these are all worrying signs and for people who don't think Britain's democracy is under attack, you know, we should definitely think again. And, and we've been provided with ample examples in the last few years,
0: yeah. Let's think about what happens when when democracies end, and particularly thinking about like not in a coup, but like as we've talked about, Hungary, also Venezuela is another example of when democracy ends. I think the United States is further along this particular line. And the first of the first thing that has to happen is you have to stop playing by the unwritten rules. And the point is that there isn't any kind of particular set of rules that can be drawn up that will perfectly constrain those people in power those people have to act in a way that kind of holds true to the idea of democracy and the idea of these kind of, there are certain laws and regulations that we have to follow. If you look at the United States, you know, technically speaking, Mitch McConnell could not hold a vote for the Supreme Court justice after Scalia died in 2016. He chose not to do that. He chose to wait until after the election. So he's hoping they a Republican president. Now, There's no rule saying he had to bring forward a nominee within a particular time frame. But if he was following kind of the ideals of democracy in a fair playing field, he would have brought forward that particular nominee. So you're not playing by the rules. A simile here, Johnson doesn't play by those rules. The second thing is you stop accepting the legitimacy of the democratic opposition, the third of which is violence, the fourth of which is the curtailment of, of civil liberties. in The UK, if you like, Johnson's tried to do number one. But number two, in terms of not accepting legitimacy of the democratic opposition, violence, the containment of civil liberties, that like we haven't gone down that road. OK, this is very much a first step or it would have been a first step kind of had he been a bit more successful. I think the hope for British democracy is the fact that after Patterson affair, we've also seen the Conservatives fall behind in the polls. The ratings change towards and the belief towards Conservative, you know, who'd be the best prime minister. Starmer, I think, is leading it, uh, by four points. has also got a higher approval rating than Boris Johnson. I think Stammer's also higher in competence as well. So like you're looking at a point where the British public are reacting in some sense towards this scandal. Now, I don't think it is just this scandal. I also think the economy's playing a role. You've also seen Biden's approval falling in the United States. But that's the hope, right? The hope there is um, actually people are saying, well, but this particular case, actually you can't curtail the rules in a certain way. I think the reason why is because if you look at the United States, why are people willing to overlook or were willing to overlook Donald Trump's egregious actions in office It's because they had spent the last eight years believing that Barack Obama was an existential threat threat to the American way of life. And that actually Donald Trump was the saviour there. And similarly, now under Biden, there's a view that goes, actually, this guy isn't just a person from a different party. He's completely un-American. In the UK, we just we don't have that anymore. Now that, if you like, for some extent, like Brexit is done and also accepted as well on both sides of the aisle, there's a reason why like Boris Johnson always wants to talk about that. Because when you raise that kind of question about what does Britain fundamentally stand for, you know, the question of whether or not anyone is able to move to this country from the European Union to live here is a very large question about what Britain stands for. If that question is now resolved in one favour, then actually when we come to vote, it's not like, I know Boris Johnson's a bit of a a cad. A cad is an awful word. A bit of a bandit. But it's fine, I have to vote for him because that's life. He's going to get Brexit done. Actually, now you've got that system where it is done, the hope is still there. Um, So that's kind of, in a weird way, Boris Johnson getting Brexit done is also what's kind of uh, screwing him at the moment.
1: I think another important kind of thing that's come from the Patterson story is that when we're starting to use the word corruption as opposed to sleaze as opposed to kind of other words and i do think it's important that we don't present this as just like a oh this is a problem with a conservative party like yes i heard you mention a quarter of conservative mps who have second jobs and a lot of these jobs are kind of jobs where it's not like they're not working in a care home like an with homos for example they've been paid for their influence but I think this is also about, as we mentioned before, the rules that can govern behaviour of MPs. And actually we need to be more robust rules to prevent MPs from taking on jobs where they can be paid for their influence. And jobs again used very loosely there. Um But I, I do think it is important we are using the word corruption. I do think we've often used synonyms for corruption and we've not been quite explicit in calling out corruption. But Owen Patterson being paid for you know being paid by these companies to advocate on their behalf was you know, it was corruption, and we should actually be really blunt about that, so I do think that's an important thing to come from this story.
0: Yeah, and also I suppose the Conservatives are in power, which is why these scandals are, at this point in time, at least surrounding the Conservative Party, particular. No,
1: I, un- I understand that. point of juncture. I just don't want it to be seen as like a, oh, this is a, like, I understand the whole, like, the Tories are bandits line that people want to take, that's fair enough, but mm-hmm. my point is that this is actually more about the, the rules that Governing the behaviour of MPs and actually how those rules need drastic reform, and this is a moment to call for those reform as opposed to just framing it as like a "oh, aren't well, the Conservatives bad?" I weirdly don't think
0: i'd I'd agree with that. I don't think it is. To, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think the rules need to be reformed. But I think the rules need to be changed. I think it's also about it is the actions of the individuals that do that is different, and there's a culture of impunity around this particular set of ministers and this p- particular perhaps even like you know Owen Patterson for example very staunch Brexiteer very senior conservative MP for a long time has kind of you know pushed his through done this thing and never admitted he was wrong and had like a cohort of people around him who are also older Brexiteers who are arguing for this for the same number of years who've never really taken Responsibility for the ways in which Brexit had turned out never really, you know, turned around and gone. Oh, actually, we were wrong about X, Y, and Z. And then we've also found ourselves here doing these particular things. Like, I think in one sense, the rules are less important than the actions and adhering to like the spirit rather than the letter of the law.
1: So, no, I take that point. Like, listen, I'm not gonna, I'm not trying to defend the Conservative Party because I actually view the Conservative Party as a anti-democratic force in the same way the republicans aren't an anti-democratic force mm. but i think it's important that we kind of zero in on the rules that allow the conservative MPs to do the things they're doing and actually reform those rules while also holding individuals who are you know being paid for for their influence by also holding them to account so i'm not suggesting that we shouldn't hold these individuals to account by more concern for are able to do the things they are able to do because the rules that exist at the moment allow them to do so
0: yeah and we should probably change the rules in, in lots of ex- exciting we should change the rules in a different way. I mean, there's lots there's lots of really uh, annoyed conservative MP backbenchers who, I think I heard like Stephen Bush put it really well yesterday. And he was like, you know, basically you're a conservative MP. You came in in 2010. You're never going to make ministerial office. And so the kind of the deal is, okay, guess what? You can get paid like a lot of money by this private company and life will still be great for you in one sense. And they're all about to see the entire rug pulled out from underneath their feet because of this one egregious case from Owen Patterson who they all then had to vote for and then were also made to look incredibly foolish while doing so. I think also there's like a, a much a longer-term story here, depending on how long and how bad this goes on for, which is around if you do have a system where people can pay for influence and pay to get access and pay to get... Um, you know rules and regulations change towards them you also live in a world that is going to have more economic stagnation and kind of lower economic growth and lower income growth overall okay so like if you think it's a very broad sweep of history why was the united kingdom the first country in the world to industrialize it's actually because it had a relatively broad political system that could represent a lot of interest as opposed to being like a very tight absolutist monarchy you know it's why it was able to overtake Spain who had like threatened it with the armada come around the 18th century Britain is a global superpower Spain is like a relative minnow at the time because of that more open political system whereas here you have a system where if that's not the case economic growth falls people become more and more angry with the status quo and it then leads to kind of what you see around some of the problems of populism you know if you're not doing very well if your life isn't going very well in part because private companies can kind of jig the system towards their own interests, especially the big companies, actually you become disheartened and disenfranchised by the system and ironically become fuel for the kind of leader that is Boris Johnson is, and we've also seen Donald Trump on the other side. So corruption is bad and also could be bad for our democracy in ways that like, aren't always clear straight away.
1: No, 100%. I did actually find it quite ironic. I, I don't know if you, you saw this report. So lots, as you mentioned, this has led to obviously we're having conversations about second jobs now, and it emerged that the the Conservative MP Natalie Elphick, who infamously told Marcus Rashford to stick to his job because he campaigned quite quite well on free school meals and food poverty, well she actually has a second job of her own. She's she's paid on she's on on, on, a, on a company board. And she she gets thirty six thousand pounds for that. So I just find it I found I did find that quite funny, but actually the MPs who are pushing back at the footballers as well, footballers who took the knee, they were telling them to stick to the, stick to football. Well, actually, lots of these MPs have second jobs, and I just found that quite quite funny, to be honest with you. Natalie
0: so. <laughs> Elphick,
1: Natalie Elphick. You know, it was leaked.
0: <laughs> what, her second she, job? She, you know how that, you know, she actually... What, what, with her The what, Rashford, It was a WhatsApp message, it, wasn't you know? it?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was a WhatsApp message. yeah. And some other conservative MP completely... uh, Stitched her up. (laughs) Yeah, it's just ridiculous. I can't believe that, like... You you tell footballers to stick to their jobs while you have second jobs and competing interests. It's just ridiculous. (laughs) Jeez,
0: (laughs) Natalie Elvick. Jesus Christ. Well, what are your your final thoughts, Mike on this particular particular issue?
1: I guess my final thoughts are, you know, one thing we all value, we all should value in politicians is honesty... And integrity. And I think it becomes very difficult to ensure the integrity and honesty of our politicians when they're being paid for their influence. Look, I'm not completely against second jobs as things stand. I kind of oscillate between a complete and utter blanket ban on second jobs and also maybe a blanket ban with some exemptions, which is probably where I'm at at the moment. But I do think it's important that we are limiting the ability of MPs to be paid for influence. Look, if MPs are you know, working, working and I, I kind of use that term loosely, six to eight hours a month and earning six figures for that. They're being paid for their influence, and consultancy and lobbying jobs are especially problematic. I'd also kind of urge a note of caution about the Conservative Party in the direction of travel at the moment. You know, as I mentioned earlier, authoritarian leaders rig the rules. We're seeing Boris Johnson's governments at least attempt to rig the rules in some cases. They criminalise dissent. We are seeing Boris Johnson's governments push through attempt to push through the policing bill should make it a lot more difficult for protests to happen they limit checks and balances on their power we are seeing the government try to over you know limit the power of independent bodies and ignore the the advice of independent bodies so direction of travel under conservatives and i've called them an anti-democratic force is a slight concern but i'm actually also quite heartened by the response to the patterson story because i do think the pressure that we as a a society have put on the government has forced the u-turn and I, we are starting to speak about corruption as opposed to sleaze and using kind of synonyms. We, it's important we actually call it what it is, corruption. So while there is a worrying direction to travel under Conservatives, I do think civil society, um, um, you know, kind of protest movements are really doing a good job of holding the government to account. And also some, some parts of the media are doing a good job of holding the government to account. And that's just, that's something we should, we should absolutely celebrate.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I think my final thing is to say that, like, uh, well, first and foremost, there is a sense in which we just, like administrations take on kind of character of the principal in this case, who, who Boris Johnson is and, and how he acts. And he's always acted in a way that he's never careful. The rules have been able to or been willing to engage in practices that we would see as being corrupt. And that's not just around uh, here, a second jobs, but also in particular around Jennifer Curie and you know helping her business out while he was mayor of London and doing what he could. kind of pursue his own what looks like extramarital affairs um so that's the first thing i'd say the second thing is that the reason why we probably care about this more or voters probably care about this more is because because brexit is sort of done politics has returned to a more normal i disagree with that person i don't want them to be in power as opposed to being if that person gets in, my entire way of life will be destroyed forever. And that's a a reason why we're having this reaction much more strongly here than we do in the United States. And more broadly, it means that actually when it comes to politics or our politics, like lowering the temperature is also quite important. Actually saying that I have fundamental disagreements with people on the other side, but we respect and live together in a country and a community together that's a really important thing to do and it's also really important because then you stop overlooking abuses uh, by your own side and then finally and more about well, the final thing i would say is that actually you know we're having this system this populist wave in power over you know across the world really and to a certain extent it's also because people are incredibly dissatisfied with the status quo want to shake things up are willing to have someone who breaks the rules in order to kind of be psychologically satisfied. And actually, one of the things you have to do to stop that happening is actually have like a robust system where people have a stake in the democracy as it stands. Like if you see the system is not giving you a decent way of life and hasn't done for a very long time, you're also not going to be hugely care about much about breaking or trashing democratic norms because after all, what has the system as it currently stands? What has it done for me? Um, and that's where we're at right Michael that's the end of our podcast almost the end of our podcast Uh what is your jam of the week for this particular moment of time
1: I feel like I've been waiting to deliver this jam of the week since you know since Liverpool beat Manchester United oh, really Jesus it's yeah, not going to okay. stop yeah no brilliant go ahead it's, it's <laughs> lunis I've got five on it listen if you know we won five nil <laughs> <laughs> I've got five on it <laughs>
0: I've been, Jeevan. I've been waiting.
1: I've been waiting for you, Jeev. Honestly, I told you I'm here for you. Here to taunt you. That is.
0: I. I think that might be the best job that we've ever had. Oh, it is an absolute banger of a song. It's a great. It's a great it's song. Such it's a, a great song. song.
1: I've had it on replay since we we beat you just to just to let you know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it, it's a very it's a very apt choice hats off round of applause like that's that was that a great choice <laughs> uh that seems as a great a place than I need to end it all right then guys we'll see you we'll see you soon is the answer hopefully in two weeks but like be you know be kind to us this particular moment in time
1: <laughs> we'll see you guys soon. see you guys